We're especially thankful for our visitors. I know we have several visitors this morning. I've already seen some of you, met some of you, and we are especially thrilled uh, at your presence with us today. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I am wondering, how many of you really like your job? Think about that. I said I wasn't going to ask for a show of hands, but some of you, you like your job so much that you raised your hand anyway. You disobeyed the preacher. That's okay. We'll overlook that. Um, I, I hope that it, if you are in love with your job, you can at least find some redeeming quality about it. I'm sure there are varying degrees of um, how, much, you know, how much you like your job in this room today. But I bet even if you're out there and you think, I love my work, I love what I get to do, I actually look forward to getting up in the morning and going and doing my job, I bet that there has been at least one or two or a few occasions where you've complained about your job. And maybe you're somebody in here who complains about your job every week. And you really, really dislike what it is that you do. But I'm here to tell you this morning, you could have it a whole lot worse. It could be worse for you. Let me, let me tell you how. You could be a guard at Buckingham Palace. You know, these guys, they spend hours every day cleaning and pressing their uniforms, polishing their boots in preparation for the many inspections that they have to undergo before taking their position. And then, after all of that, they have to stand there, standing still and totally stoic for hours on end while they put up with annoying tourists. We've all seen pictures of people trying to get these guys' attention and trying to, to break them from standing so still, that could be you. And that doesn't sound like a very appealing job to me, being a guard at Buckingham Palace. You could be, and we're really, we're taking, well, we're going downhill really quickly here. You could be a portable toilet cleaner. These guys use a vacuum wand and a tank to, you know, we won't go there. They use a high-pressure hose to clean all the surfaces. And as you can imagine, hosing a wall in a closed space creates a lot of spray back. You could be one of those guys. You could be somebody who, for a living, cleans porta-potties. No, thank you. You could be a roadkill remover. These guys have to dodge incoming traffic to run out into the road to scrape off the remains of squirrels and possums and armadillos, etc. from the pavement. That's what they do day in and day out. You could be a Brazilian mosquito researcher. This is a real job. To study those little pests, these guys offer themselves up as bait. They allow the mosquitoes to land on them, to feast on their skin, Uh, in order to trap them for scientific study, that could be you Monday to Friday. Or you could be somebody who has to clean sewers. And we will just leave it at that. That requires no extra explanation. This morning, we're going to talk about both Amos and Hosea. These guys, these prophets were given jobs that I would not want to have. We're in the midst of a series called Let the Prophet Speak. We're looking at three prophets. We've had three sermons on Amos. We've had one on Hosea. But I want to look at both of these prophets this morning and on the jobs that they were given that I would not want to have. 
First of all, God told Amos, hopefully you remember this, if you were here, God told Amos to travel to a different region, one where he didn't live, and preach a message that no one wanted to hear. Nobody was going to want to hear what Amos had to say. If you look in Amos chapter 7, uh, verse 14, you get Amos sort of recounting his call as a prophet. Uh, he's sort of reliving this moment when God spoke to him and, and told him to go and to preach his message. He says, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son. I was a herdsman. I was a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Amos says, I had a good job. I was a shepherd. I was a dresser of sycamore figs. And out of nowhere, God says, I want you to leave your occupation and go take on this new line of work. And it was not a pleasant line of work. Preaching a message to a group of foreign people, people that he'd never seen before. And it was a message that, that fell on deaf ears that they wanted nothing to do with. They didn't want to hear it. A very unpleasant job that God calls Amos to complete. And then, you may remember from last week, God told Hosea, and this is even worse, God told Hosea to go and marry an adulterous woman so that his life could be an object lesson for Israel. Look what happens in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord first spoke through Hosea and he said, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom, have children of whoredom. The land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. God tells Hosea, Go and marry a woman who will commit adultery on you and have children with her, knowing this from the beginning. And the reason I want you to do that is because my people are grossly unfaithful to me. My people are committing adultery on me by chasing after other gods. And I want them to see in your life what, I, what it feels like to be me. A God who has made a covenant with these people. A God who shares a relationship with them and they just, they're running out on me all the time. And I want them to see in a tangible way what that's like for me. And so that's the job that God gives Hosea. Both Amos and Hosea were given jobs that they did not want to do. They were given jobs that would cause them to be very different. They were given jobs that would naturally cause them to stand out. Amos has to go and preach this message that was not being preached, that nobody wanted to hear. He stuck out like a sore thumb. God said, I want you to leave Judah, I want you to go up to Israel, and I want you to tell them these words that I have to share with them. And they're not going to be well received. Don't you know that Amos looked different just by the very nature of this job that he was given? And Hosea, I mean, who in his or her right mind would go and marry somebody who you knew from the beginning was going to be unfaithful? This causes Hosea to look very strange and very different. So both Amos and Hosea are told to, think, are told to go do things that would make them look really, really odd. And the bottom line is, humans don't enjoy looking odd. Humans don't enjoy being different. We resist that. 
Now, you may be sitting out there today and think, no, I actually enjoy standing out. I enjoy being different. I enjoy looking odd. And maybe there are some of you who would say that and really honestly feel that way. But I think on the whole, most of us, well, we prefer just to go with the flow. We prefer to follow the crowd. We don't want to look different. We don't want to stand out. For example, there's a study that was done on social media. And I know a lot of you are not on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any of these other platforms, but more and more of you are beyond just our young people. Older adults are getting into the social media scene. And there was a study done recently that found that users on social media are more willing to like a post or a photo if someone else has already liked it. Now granted, there has to be that first person who likes something. And so there's got to be at least one person who goes out on a limb and who likes a picture or who likes a post. But most people don't want to like something unless somebody else has already liked it. So in other words, we don't want to be the first person to click that button. If we see that one or more people have already liked it, then the likelihood that we'll like it increases dramatically. But the point is, we don't want to be the only person to like something. We want to we fit in with the crowd. We want to go with the flow. We, we'd rather follow what everybody else is doing on social media and in real life as well. Think about these real life examples for a moment. How else but, but this, this, this point that we're making that in general, people want to follow the crowd, they want to fit in, they want to go with the flow. How else can you explain why so many Germans went along with the extermination of millions of Jews during the Holocaust? Do you think that there were that many deplorable, uh, uh, morally baseless people in Germany during that time period? Or did Germany have a lot of people who were just not willing to stand up for what was right. People who were just content to follow the crowd and to go with the flow, even though the flow was leading in a, in a deplorable location. Or how do you explain this, that we have seen an unbelievably rapid shift to acceptance of same-sex marriage in this country over the last less than 10 years? I mean, it's been unbelievable, the shift. And I think it's because most people just want to follow the crowd. Most people don't want to stand out and appear odd or, or different or as going against the grain of society. Everyone just goes the way the wind is blowing. Nobody wants to look different, wants to look weird. Well, it's a good thing that God never asks of us Anything that makes us look different like he did with Amos and Hosea, right? I sure am thankful for that. I'm glad God doesn't call me to go and do things that would put me at odds or make me look strange to the culture at large like he did with Amos, like he did with Hosea, right? Aren't you glad? Wrong. Doing God's will, following his word, often makes us look weird. And why is that? Well, it's because this world is not following God on the whole. This world is following somebody else. Scripture tells us about it. In the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what Paul has to say here. 
think I've got it up on the screen for you. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked. He's speaking to believers. He's speaking to Christians here. But he's saying, before you took on Christ in baptism, you were dead in your sins. And he goes on, you were following the course of this world. You were following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You were following after another ruler. You were following the prince of the power of the air. Who could that be? That's the evil one. That's our primary adversary. That is Satan. And if you're not following Christ, by default, you are following the devil. And that's what you were doing. Those of you who are sitting in this audience and you're baptized believers, by default, that's what you were doing before you put Christ on in baptism and before you gave yourself over to this way of life. And everybody who has yet to place their faith in Jesus Christ, that's what they're doing. They're not following God. They're not following Christ. They might think they're good people. They might think they're morally upright. But by default, they are following the prince of the power of the air. They are following the course of this world. And that's why when you become a Christian and you start living like a Christian, and you start believing some of the things that we believe, and doing some of the things the Bible teaches us to do, you stick out like a sore thumb, because that's not what the world's doing. You look weird. You look odd. You look strange. Paul says something to this effect in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, talking about everybody else in the world, in their case, the case of those who are unbelievers, The God of this world has blinded their minds to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Now, God is ultimately in charge. I believe that. But I also believe there's somebody else who's who's in control of this world right now. Yes, God is going to be ultimately victorious, but our world is run largely by the prince of the power of the air. by By the God of this world. That's what Paul says he is here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The God of this world. That is Satan. That's the devil. He wields a lot of power, a lot of influence over a lot of people in this world. Everybody who has yet to name the name of Christ is following after Him. And He is blinding them from seeing the light of the Gospel message. And that's where we come in. Because we've got to send the light. We've got to spread the word that Christ has come to redeem all people. Because Satan is working really hard to, to, put, to put blinders over the eyes of the unbelievers. He is the God of this world. And he is the one that everybody else out in the world is following. While we pledge our allegiance to the God of the universe. And when we do, we often look weird. Because that's not what everybody else is doing. That's not the way of the world. The way of Christ. It doesn't line up quite often with the ways of the world, since everybody else is following after Satan. God's way is quite different. Now this is all very hard. It's all very hard to embrace God's will and to embrace feeling strange or appearing odd because you follow God's will. And it's hard because, as we've said, we're prone to following the crowd. That's sort of... that's the way that it's been from almost the very beginning. I want to point you all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. You know, we often say, 
this is one of the saddest verses in the Bible, or this is one of the saddest passages that you'll ever read, but truly, the fall is the saddest moment in the Scriptures and the saddest event in all human history because this is when humanity fell out of a right relationship with God. And it is this moment that God has to correct and change in the sending of Jesus Christ. So this is the most tragic event in human history and in the pages of God's Word. Listen to what happens in verse 6 of chapter 3. The woman Eve, after being tempted by who? The evil one? By Satan, the one we just were reading about in Ephesians and 2 Corinthians who's blinding unbelievers in the world. He's here, right? Right in the beginning. Almost at the beginning of time. He's tempting the very first humans with great success. Verse 6, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. What did God say about the tree? If you eat it, you're going to die. What did Satan say? If you eat it, you're going to be like God. Who does the woman believe? Not God, but Satan. And the tree is pleasing to her eye, and the fruit looks good to eat. And so what does she do? She takes of it. She takes a big bite out of the fruit. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And that's what we've been doing ever since. We have been doing exactly what Adam does in this verse. Since that time, it's been exceptionally difficult to fight against our fallen human tendency to go with the flow. It's built built into us into our fallen human nature from the time of Adam. And just like Adam, often in our lives we give in and we take a bite because that's what what everybody else is doing. And so we just go with the flow. We follow the crowd towards death and destruction that is promised for all those who resist the way of Christ in the Scriptures. And the reason is, we're just too afraid to stand out. We're just too afraid to look different, to look odd, Well, here's some encouraging news. The fear of looking weird did not keep Amos and Hosea from obeying God. And I want that to be an inspiration to you this morning as we look at these two figures. Amos' message was unlike anything Israel was hearing. It was not a welcome message. In Amos chapter 7, verse 10, Amaziah the priest said, the land is not able to bear these words. (laughs) The land, the people, we can't handle what you're preaching, man. So just stop in verses 12 and 13. He says, just go back to Judah. You can prophesy down there, but don't prophesy up here any longer. And what does does Amos say to that? Verse 16, hear the word of the Lord. You say, don't prophesy against Israel. You say, don't preach against the house of Isaac. Verse 17, therefore thus says the Lord, and he just keeps on preaching. And he just keeps on spreading the word that God had given him to spread. He it doesn't stop him for one minute that he's, that he's sticking out like a sore thumb, that he's looking odd, that his message is not welcome. The priest, this very, this very reputable and respectable figure says, get out of town, man. You can't preach this up here. People don't want to hear it, so just go away. And he says, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep doing the will of God because it's the will of God. And I don't care how weird I look. What about Hosea? His life and preaching were so odd that 
the people ridiculed him. They called him a fool. That's Hosea chapter 9, verse 7. The prophet is a fool, they said. And do you blame him? The way that Hosea's life was going, he takes this woman who he knows is going to cheat on him. He makes her, his wife, they have a child together, but then she starts running around on him and the, the other two children they have may or may not be his. This guy is a fool. But you know what Hosea did? He did God's will anyway. He took the woman to be his wife as an object lesson to show Israel what they had been doing to God. She cheats on him. She's unfaithful to him, just as God said. And then God says, I want you to go take her back. I want you to go take her back. Because I'm willing to take my people back. Because I love them. And so what does Hosea do? No, I'm not taking her back. I have every reason to put her away, to divorce her for what she's done to me. Hosea says, I will go and I will take her back. He goes and buys her back. He has to pay a price to get her back to be his wife again. How odd. How weird the things that God asks Hosea to do. He does them anyway. Without a fuss or a fight. Because it's God's will. And he doesn't care if he looks a little strange when he's doing it. The fear of appearing weird shouldn't keep us from obeying God either, should it? But often it does. But let me tell you this morning, there is just too much at stake to allow our resistance to looking strange get in the way of following God. There's too much at stake here in our witness to the world, in growing in Christ-likeness, and there's much too much at stake in the life to come in our eternal salvation, in being able to dwell with God for eternity. We're going to give all of that up, our future glory and our present witness, the people that God wants us to be, the people we're intended to be. We're going to give all that up because we're afraid of looking a little bit weird? You're kidding me, right? We are going to sacrifice all the blessings that God has given us through Jesus Christ because we don't want to look a little bit odd to our neighbors. Let me take you all the way back to March the 2nd, 1962. It's Hershey, Pennsylvania. It is a cold and rainy night. There are about 4,000 people in the stands of a gymnasium. The Philadelphia Warriors basketball team are playing the New York Knicks. And this has been called the best game of basketball that has ever been played. The star of the Philadelphia Warriors is a guy by the name of Wilt Chamberlain. He's over seven feet tall, and he's one of the best to ever play the game. In fact, in the 1961-62 season, Wilt Chamberlain averages more than 50 points per game. But on this night, in Hershey, Pennsylvania, he far exceeds that. By the end of the first quarter, he's got 23 points. By halftime, he's got 41. By the end of the third quarter, 69 points. And before games end, I've got his picture up here, he reaches 100 points. Wilt Chamberlain scores 100 points in a single game, the most anyone has ever scored in a pro basketball game, and probably ever will. Now, one reason that Wilt Chamberlain on this particular night exceeds 100 points is that he shoots brilliantly from the foul line. He makes 28 out of 32 free throws. That is 87.5%. And in this game, he makes the most free throws that anyone has ever made in a single NBA game. Now, that's remarkable because Wilt Chamberlain was a notoriously bad free throw shooter. I mean, he was like Shaquille O'Neal bad. He was one of the worst. 
In fact, early in his career, he was shooting just 40% from the free throw line. So, why the sudden change in his ability? Why the difference on this legendary night? Well, Wilt Chamberlain had begun shooting free throws underhanded. Instead of, and forgive my basketball skills, but instead of shooting like this, he began shooting like this. His free throws. And it made all the difference. And, and wouldn't you know that this style of shooting free throws underhanded has been shown to be a better, more accurate way to shoot them. In fact, another basketball star from this era, Rick Barry, he shot all of his free throws underhanded, and he would only miss 9 or 10 per season. That's how, that's how greater the accuracy was. So, on this night in Hershey, Pennsylvania, it paid off big time for Wilt Chamberlain. But then something very strange happens. Wilt Chamberlain, after this game and this season, he goes back to shooting the old way. And he becomes terrible again. <laughs> he becomes a really bad free throw shooter like he was at the beginning of his career. So we might ask the question, why would he not continue to do something that helped him to be more successful? Well, he reveals the answer in his autobiography. The answer is, it just looks strange to shoot that way. He admitted that he, and th these are his words, he felt like a sissy <laughs> when he shot underhanded. He didn't want to look weird. He didn't want to embarrass himself by using, what's the term that we use for that shot? The granny shot. Wilt Chamberlain, the seven-foot giant basketball genius, didn't want to look like a sissy by using the granny shot. Didn't want to look weird. And yet, if he had kept it up, his numbers, as great as they were, would have been even better. They would have been phenomenal. He could have been... Heads and tails above the rest. And as you know, Wilt Chamberlain, he's not the only basketball player to refuse to shoot free throws underhanded. Almost nobody does it. Why? Not because it's not the best way to shoot free throws. It's because it's weird. Because it's not like everybody else. And even though it would ensure great success from the foul line, players don't shoot that way because it looks different. And that is exactly what is happening and what has happened with countless people of faith. We're afraid of looking odd for following Christ. We're afraid of doing things, though they would ensure greater success for us in the here and now and in the life to come. We don't do them because we're afraid of looking weird. Christianity is losing its influence in this world, not because we're doing a bad job of fitting in, but because we refuse to stand out. We are losing ground for that reason. Because we're afraid to take a granny shot every now and then for Jesus. Don't miss out on pleasing God and becoming the person that He wants you to be because you didn't want to look weird, but because you were afraid you were going to look like a sissy or look strange by doing something that God has called you to do that the rest of the world is not doing. This morning, I want to ask you a question, church. Are you willing to be weird? <laughs> Are you willing to be strange? Now, you're going to be strange if you follow Christ right now in this world. But listen, it's only going to get stranger from here, I truly believe. We are only going to stand out more going forward in this country than we are now. We're only going to look weirder to unbelievers and to outsiders. If you haven't caught on to, to these cultural trends in our culture, let me just make you aware of them this morning. We're only going to look odder. So are you willing to stand out? Are you willing to be weird? Are you willing to show love when everybody else is spewing hate? Are you willing to speak truth when everyone else is perpetuating lies? 
Are you willing to seek common ground when everybody else is swinging to extremes? Are you willing to hold to God's intention for sexuality when everybody else is distorting His will? Are you willing to not be sexually active with your boyfriend or your girlfriend when everybody else says it's the thing to do? Are you willing to be faithful to one person for life when everyone else permits and even encourages multiple sexual partners? Are you willing to be an advocate for the unborn when everybody else says abortion is just a woman's choice? Are you willing to promote peace when everybody else cries out for war? Are you willing to live with less when everybody else is grasping for more? Are you willing to pursue racial reconciliation when everybody else prefers to stay segregated? Are you willing to build bridges with those who need the gospel when everybody else wants to build walls? Are you willing to tell a neighbor about Jesus Christ when everybody else says, I better keep quiet about my personal beliefs? Are you willing to look weird for following the Lord. You want to know somebody else who looked weird? It was Jesus in His ministry on this earth. You know where He looked the weirdest? It was in His hometown. It was when He went home to Nazareth and people said, isn't this the carpenter's son? That's where He looked the weirdest. Are you willing to look weird in Winchester? To the people that you go to work with? The people that you do life with every day? Are you willing to be called extreme and odd and strange for the things that you believe and promote and do on a daily basis? A little boy went to church with his grandmother for the very first time. And he watched intently everything that was done in the service. He'd never seen anything like it before. And as the preacher got up to preach, he listened very carefully because the preacher told a story about a brave and kind man who suffered great cruelty on a cross and underwent a lot of struggle and, and suffering and pain. But then the preacher also said that this brave and kind man, he continues to feel pain and he struggles when his people who are called by his name do not follow and live by his example. And this young boy was stirred by this message and he thought to himself, this preacher must be telling the people this story because he wants them to do something about it. And there has to be some action that will make this right, that will uh, do something to solve this problem of this Savior's struggle. And he sits there and the congregation, they just sing a couple more hymns and then everybody is dismissed. And he can't believe it because he thought that somebody would do something about this Savior's pain and, and suffering and, and the hurt that he feels when his people don't follow after His will. And so after church, as everybody's leaving, and they, they seem to be totally unaffected by this message that He's been deeply affected by, He begins to cry. And in His tears and His trembling, His grandmother notices Him. And she looks down at Him and she says, Hey, little man, don't take all that to heart. People might think you're different. Too long, we have communicated the message. Yeah, you can be a little different, but not too different. You can stand out in the world, but oh, don't stand out too much. No more. That's not the message this morning. That's not the message that the New Testament teaches. That's not the message that I'm preaching. Jesus hung on that cross for me. The least I can do 
in my life is stand out for Him. If you're ready to be washed in the blood of the Lamb today, if you're ready to make things right in your relationship with God, why don't you come as we stand and sing?